Listeners to the BHL podcast series. I'm your host, Scott Heidner, and with me today is my co-host, Travis Grauerholtz. We are very pleased to have as our guest today, Senate President Ty Masterson. Uh, Senator Masterson has been a public uh, servant over in the Kansas legislature since all the way back in 05, and we're excited to go back and hear his story Uh, his journey that brought him to the Capitol, and uh, a little bit about his experiences as a senator and and his path through leadership. So, Senator Masterson, thank you for being with us today. Well, I appreciate appreciate the invitation. Quite frankly, I think we've worked together long enough. I'd appreciate it if you'd call me Ty. Well, we'll save a few syllables, too, shorten the thing (laughs) up. Make more efficient use of time. Yes, yes, sir. I like it. Well, very good, Ty. We appreciate that and and glad to have you here. Uh, We always start with our guests we like to learn more about the early years uh it seems like everybody has something in the early years that impacted and shaped the reasons and the journey that brought them here uh tell us a little bit about where you grew up where you went to school what your childhood looked like jobs you had as a kid first quote unquote real job um you know what what were your ambitions in high school give us the whole tutorial on your childhood well that's a, that's a lot to unpack uh, i'm not sure whatever <laughs> what everybody would be interested in we can go one uh, at a time Where'd yeah you grow no, up? I, so i you know i grew up uh, in the district i represent just uh, east of wichita uh, in butler county uh, out on the backside of a dairy farm my dad had uh, his dad had brought him here. They had been large ranchers in Iowa, lost everything in the Depression. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up working for like WPA and the government. They ended up back here. And so uh, my dad, I think, had always hoped to get back there, you know, to have that. But he, you know, so we, I grew up on this little five-acre farm on the back of this, this bigger farm. And so we were, uh, my dad was not a sports guy. So we, if you want to spend time with dad, you did chores. <laughs> and so we had... Uh, oh, we had everything, I think. I mean, you know, cattle and sheep and pigs and goats and rabbits even for a while. He was on, I mean, we had big gardens and so that's, so that was my young. I mean, we had to even, you know, I had my X number of rows I had to weed before I could go do something in the summer. So, and as a, I was a little bit of a procrastinator, so <laughs> I'd be the guy out there in the heat, right? My other brothers, they were smart, got out there, got it done <laughs> and on. But, uh, so that, I mean, that grew up there. I mean, it's. My dad was a, uh, he ended up, he worked for Beach Aircraft, so Wichita, big aircraft community, and he, he had done the traditional go to work for, uh, you know, go to school, go to college, get a job with a good company, and he stayed there for 40 years, so it was, um, but I was a lot different than that. I think we, me and the brothers, there's four of us, four boys, so I grew up, I was the second of four, and so, and we didn't, dad didn't do TV, right, or, right, I'm not sure that I, knew the TV produced anything but the news until I was a teenager. <laughs> but, um, you know, so we'd be out on the phone. You know, we rode it, shot it, built it, crushed it. You know, what it, it was just it was all testosterone. My my mother was the only female in the house, and she handled us quite well, right? So tubs of peroxide and, and fans, right? She just – we'd come in all scraped up. She'd rub you down with peroxide and put a fan on you. So <laughs> call it good. So, you know, I had – and it was just a, a little boy's world, right? I think I think I've had six or seven concussions. <laughs> that's probably how I got that into politics, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what I know of. So, uh, probably a little bit of brain damage floating around in there. But um, it was, so it was a very, very, and even my so 
I had my mother's side of the family. Dad was an only child. Mom had five brothers and sisters, and so I was the oldest of, or third oldest of 31 cousins, and the first nine of those were male. And so it was just this, uh, you know, I didn't experience a teenage female until I had one. Right? So, <laughs> it was a, <laughs> then God, you know, he had a good sense of humor, and four of my six kids are girls. So it was <laughs> learn learning curve. Uh, but that was growing up, so we did get, we were taught a, a work ethic, right, that, um, and not to complain. So that's what they, you know, dad, you know, you never complained about whether it's a meal or anything. You know, dad's, dad's big line was, if you don't like this, you can eat tomorrow. <laughs> Take a hike. <laughs> We're like, okay, I get that. I'll, I'll eat it and say thank you. And then um, he also said, hey, you can have any car you want. Just get a job and pay for it. I don't know however much you can make. That's what you can have. So my first real job, uh, I think I was 13. So it was because uh, I, I didn't have my driver's license yet. I remember and I got that right when I turned 14. So I was uh, there was a man that I think he was oh he was the husband of a gal that was librarian at our school. So my mother knew him, and I, I was hired out as a uh, kind of a handyman, do it all kind of kid. And so we did everything from sheetrock to woodworking to mow the lawn, to, and he paid me three dollars an hour, and it was. Uh, that was my first, uh, I would get a real job where I had to show up on time, do my work, and get a paycheck at the end of the And probably felt rich as creases. Oh, $3 I did, right? Of yep. course, then next I get to, well, I get a driver's license, so I feel like Superman, right? And I think I my parents are crazy. I load a, I loaded up a trailer with mowers and drove into town. I'm 14 years old. I can't even picture that with my own. <laughs> right? Loaded the trailer, hooked the trailer, drove in, started mowing lawns, and that was uh, kind of filler. And actually, I've. I've either worked or been employed ever since then, since mm -hmm. 13. So, um, and dad said, you know, even, you know, so I, of course I'd save up, I'd buy a car. And he said he would, he said he would cover my insurance. So I got my first ticket. So I think he paid for three months. <laughs> <laughs> I've been paying for it ever since. So it was, uh, he was, he was a man of his word. So that was the, <laughs> that was the early years. I have to tell you, my dad grew up on a dairy farm, and he doesn't talk about it a lot, but he's said a couple of times, you know, there's no greater teacher of work ethic than being on a small dairy farm. Uh, that'll do it. Yeah, they also, don't, you don't get days off. No, no. Right. That's, that's hey, right. Hey, Betsy, hold it. Hold <laughs> it for a day. <laughs> <laughs> he also, he said, your dad said, if you don't like this meal, you can eat tomorrow. Uh, this isn't my dad's, but I've got another buddy of mine whose dad is famous for People would say, what's for dinner? And his typical answer was, more free food, you ingrate. <laughs> yeah, right. That's definitely the uh, spirit of gratitude that he, he, <laughs> that he demanded. Uh, so tell us, so moving on to high school, so obviously got your first car, got your first jobs, created your first jobs, really, with your own mm -hmm. independent you know, lawn work and other things. But tell us about the high school years. Was that mostly consumed by work did you have other ambitions did you know what you wanted to do out of high school um that's a, you know looking back i really didn't know what i mean I, I what i knew i didn't want to do was the same thing every day for 40 years and i loved my dad but it was that just it didn't have the appeal to me and i will and like I say creating my own job i was a crafty little kid you know i you know i i was the kid tearing up my dad's tools trying to make stuff and you know i was um so that that was kind of what I did on the side. We did have to maintain work, right? I was interested in sports too at the time, so um, 
tried to play to the best of my ability, right? But dad, you know, that's not what dad. They always came to our games, but trying to work and do sports and school made that tough. I, I went through oh, early high school. I just kind of hated it. I didn't, you know. I mean, to be frank, you know, I, I skipped a lot of school and and just didn't want to didn't want to be there. Didn't see the purpose, and I didn't. And I just had other things I was, you know, interested in. But then something clicked during kind of that late sophomore year where I figured out, you know, kind of realized, oh wait, the kids are succeeding are actually doing well in school, right? And so I need to. And so then my last two years, I was a straight A student. Um, I, don't, I wasn't valedictorian, but I was in like top three uh, of the class. I, I actually funny thing was politics was not, you know, I would have been kind of least likely to be in that in that world but on a joke actually my senior year the guys I were hanging out with because it was the same typical kids that ran for student government you know class president or whatever and I never threw my name in those hats or had any interest in it and one of my buddies at the time thought oh this will be funny you got to throw Masters's name in there and I won so I had I became the president of my senior class I had I had a whole group of the the kids that were normally in that world and one one uh, particular young lady that was just in tears over the whole thing. <laughs> she goes, she goes, she goes, we're never going to have a reunion if he's the president. <laughs> I mean, that was a little, that was a bit of a premonition. I think I've only been to one or two. So. <laughs> I mean, it was, <laughs> and, and planned none of them. Yeah, I mean, planned none of them. <laughs> well, that's what, I need a committee for that. So, um so she ended up being pretty accurate in the in the whole thing, but so that was a bit of a joke. And then, uh, you know, from there, I went to I went to K State because, um, and it was just because of an expectation. It was my dad's expectation. You go to college, and again, didn't know what I wanted to do. I spent you know two years up there, two and a half years really, just kind of scrambling, changed my majors a few times. You know, from I was in structural engineering, and then just general engineering, and then just math, and I mean, because. You know, I I kind of skipped over my 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 grade school. I'm, I'm dyslexic. Didn't figure that out till I had a kid that was dyslexic, right? So I, you know, was weak in English but strong in math. But you know, you figure out how to manage through all that. And so at K State, I was just not sure what I wanted to do. Came back for a semester with Wichita State, but then I met my wife, started a business, which was really where I was wanting to be anyway. And at that point, I just dove into that and I started a a, a small business there that. Um, did all right moved on then i started uh so i was kind of serial entrepreneur serial failure however you want to uh, classify that started a uh kind of a marketing company and then i started just a i mean we grew up blue collar and i you know what we that's what we knew so i started a carpet cleaning kind of disaster restoration company I, I, interestingly enough my oldest brother still owns and operates that company today and that would have you know i haven't had anything to do with it for 20 years and uh, I moved on to something else because I, I began to realize I was a great starter, poor manager, if you will, right? The day-to-day grind begins that my ADD twicks out and I just, you know, got to get on to something, something else. And so I started a construction company, which I held uh, – <laughs> I, I had that clear through the 08 crash. But while I had that, started a insulation company that my youngest brother owns and operates and has for the last – uh, several years. I think, matter of fact, I think he just sold it. He got into uh, like collision repair or something as a, as a business. But so that was kind of my ammo. Of course, started having kids too. Right? As soon as I met my wife, for, uh, we had our first for our first anniversary, and I thought, hey, I could use this for paternity leave every year. So <laughs> we had we ended up with so we had five before our seventh anniversary, and in, ended with six. But yeah, we had 
five under six. And so it was just, I look back and, you know, lots of work. Loved, I loved that time. Super busy. But the dog pile when I came home, the kids all pile on. I I miss some of that now. Um, but, you know, you're in, you're in the middle of it. That's when you learn. You you know, the, the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah. yeah you don't understand it there because you just feel the long days. And now I turn around and, boy, we're the, we're the years short. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's well said. So other than the concussions, obviously, what interested you into getting into public policy? So the public policy, interestingly enough, came through my building business. So I had been – kind of my bread and butter were some kind of these large custom homes. Uh, and I had would pulled – I went to pull a permit to build a home for a doctor in Andover, which is the city I, I currently reside in. And uh, – it's like seven thousand dollars, right? Park impact fee, street impact fee, and the, beyond the permit. And I thought this is crazy. I mean, this is cost that has to come on. It's a great little community, and if we'd get our finger off the hose, more water would come out, right? Just let let the thing grow. And so, I actually naively I printed black and white signs and knocked on doors to run for the city council in Andover, in this is a spring elections, local elections in early two thousand five, and. Uh, I guess I found out then nobody actually did that. It was kind of the old good old boys and girls club. And so I win by this landslide, with, you know, most votes they'd ever had. And uh, so I get on city council and that was, that was my entry into uh, passive aggressive relationships. <laughs> Can we ask you how old you were when you got appointed or elected to city council? So it had been 2005. So I would have been 35. Okay. Um, yeah. 35. Uh, but then, <laughs> the rest of that story is when I get in and the mayor goes, hey, well, so I see you're you know, the new one on the council. Is there anything you're interested in? And I said, well, I'm very interested in looking at these impact fees. And he goes, oh, well, he goes, you know what? We probably should. We have not raised those in quite a while. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can see your eyes, Scott. I said, like, oh, yeah, that's the way my eyes, I know that's the way my eyes were. I was like, what? We are not going to get along. <laughs> and we didn't. <laughs> so was, we had this kind of back and forth, passive aggressive relationship, which eventually just became all aggressive. <laughs> it was just, but, uh, and I realized I was, you know, I was one out of uh, seven there, and there was not going to be an end to this. And then later that year, so this would have been 05. You guys remember that you've been around like the, the special session of mm-hmm. 05. And I was not, I was only tangentially aware of state politics, very aware of federal politics, right? Because that's kind of what you see on the news, right? And same guys that made me grateful also made me vote because they said, if you don't, you know, you have no reason to complain about anything if you're not at least t- participating, right, in the process. So I was very aware from that perspective. So, but. So my state representative resigned, Todd Noviscone. Mm-hmm. You, you may remember him. I do. And uh, so he had resigned, and at the time, the Butler County chairman of the Republican Party uh, was a family friend, probably more so at the time with my parents than with me, but she she was kind of right in between us in, in age and had gone to church together with us, and she'd called my, saw I'd entered into politics, called my dad to make see where the apple, how far the apple <laughs> fell from the tree figured out the apple sitting there right by the tree right so it was she she engaged me i told her no i wouldn't consider it but then she goes well will you at least pray about it how do you tell somebody no you're not right gonna? i was like oh yeah i'm sure I was, yeah, i'll <laughs> pray about it. when i thought talk to my wife and i thought she'll shut it down and that's where really things she, she says well i mean if it's only 90 days of course i didn't know i was being had the wool being pulled over my eyes right there right that it's only a nine, oh, nine oh, yeah. yeah so that okay well let's I said, if we think we can be helpful, and I only got to fill the back half of that term, I'll go, I'll uh, go ahead and uh, 
I'd take that and see if I can run for it. So I, had, I was in a hotly contested precinct election, won it by only four votes, and took my seat at the state house in, in October of '05. So what's funny is I get this plaque in the mail from the city of Andover that says, thank you for your service to the city of Andover, 2005 to 2005. Because <laughs> I was elected in February and left in October. Did it? And, and it, was, it literally had the same year on both ends of the plaque. Did it preclude you from continuing to serve in Andover? Because some legislators do still serve well, locally. I think I would have been able to, but they led me to believe I couldn't. Right? And I think that was not, you know, looking back, a little bit of a plan. They were, you know, hey, here you go. Hey, thanks for serving. And, you know. We're sure going to miss you. Yeah, we're sure going to miss you, but please get out of here. And uh, what's funny is that district, you know, that's still the, it's the biggest city in my district. And even though, you know, that particular you know, locally elected group struggled with me, I've, you know, I think I've never uh, won by less than 60-40, right, in the, in the district and sometimes more than that. So I, I do, I represent my district. So that's, uh, and I try to do, represent fairly everybody so it, it's it is what it is you know local government is, is a whole different animal sometimes that's i think even harder because you know it's your neighbor but so true my first job out of law school i was a staffer for the city council office here in topeka and local politics is it can be brutal it's a different animal <laughs> yeah there's no doubt about it state politics is, can be pretty personal but local politics is the extreme version. Um, I want to come back and ask you a question, Ty. It was something I meant to bring up earlier and forgot, but when you said they came to you about running for Todd Novascone's seat, you said they wanted to know how far the apple fell from the tree, and you said not far at all. That insinuates that your dad was pretty active, which is not something that came up earlier. Uh, tell us whatever there is or isn't to tell about yeah, that. Yeah, I say active. He was active in the sense of, you know, being aware of issues his mother's actually my grandmother um who was this little tiny she's four foot nine but probably one of the most powerful women i've ever known and i lived with her actually for about five years when i'd come back from college and trying to uh, put things together and she had this and, and that's why i saw it in my dad and even my mom the same way there was nothing we didn't talk about right there's it was in, i married my wife and her side of the family's real quiet right they wouldn't even share who they were going to vote for and in my side of the family you're going to share who you're voting for who they should vote for and why they should do it that way <laughs> or why they should not and so that was what you know it was a we had a very uh i don't say aggressive maybe but it was definitely uh loud yeah, yeah. it's very extroverted <laughs> conversations at the around the dinner table and at the family events about you know what's you know where are you at in life? What's God's doing in your life? What does this mean? And how you act as an actor inside, you know, in society. And, and so that's what instilled that drive and really what then I saw that effectiveness circling back to coming at the state level. I began to, I had a little bit of a, I don't know, idealistic view of members of, you know, the legislature and stuff. And I thought, well, you need to be a, be an attorney or, a, you know, a PhD in something. And then uh, when I got up here and I realized, no, this is, this is, this is farmers and teachers. And this is, I and mean, it's a people, it's a people game and it's the best. And it's, it's really, the system is amazing. It's messy. Every talks about the sausage and the mess, but it really is. I mean, I mean, all divinely inspired model of government, right? Where you know, power is, is dispersed and you can, you can have the voice of the people and that people begin to think, well, you're in this position and you, you represent government. It's like, no, this position, I represent you. You know, I am, I am actually representing a cohort of people against the government. 
not for the government, if that makes sense, right? That that's why we're so dispersed. So we're protecting them from a, an overbearing government. So, um, but anyway, that's my dad. Because of that, and you, I mean, you talk about somebody in life that you know probably developed you as a person or you know, as a leader. And it, my mom is is right there beside him. It's not a I uh, probably almost couldn't weigh one over the other, and a couple of my grandparents as well, but very family oriented. Um, and that is, I mean, I carry that on in my family. You know, I want to you know, teach my kids how to be good and productive members of society and carry good relationships with others. So, um, then, and that's what I carry for. But that, yeah, I would, that, it's a good circle back. My dad, who I just lost last year, we lost him in 2020 in the middle of COVID. It wasn't too COVID. Um, he had had a, I thought he'd live longer than me, frankly. I mean, he was in great shape. Um, he, you know, he was when he was 74. He looked like he was 54, and but he was in a car accident and took a uh, hit to the head, and that brought on some early onset dementia and Alzheimer's. And uh, so by the time he was 79, you know, it, was, it had eaten him up, and he was and uh, it was hard. But uh, yeah. yeah, but he was definitely a major factor in my life. So I want to ask you one more specific question about what it was like in your family and politics and public policy. And then I want to move on to your time in state government. Always intrigues me. One of our prior guests on the show was attorney general Derek Schmidt. And he talked about as a kid, very similar that a lot of conversation, you know, was very active, outspoken, but he said they sat down as a family for certain events like um, uh, inauguration speeches or whatever, like something was big enough deal They'd sit down as a family, and then, by golly, they were going to talk about it afterwards. Was it that in, intentional in your house, or was it just a little more organic? Like, we just uh, talked all the time, and politics came up all the time. I would say in our house it was more the latter. Dad was a animal, but they were big believers in live the example, right? Mm-hmm. But we it would turn into conversations as well, right? I mean, and that's what I appreciate. My parents were the same behind closed doors as they were outside and you know, you and that, you know, kind of that continuity, integrity of who you are as a person and and you know, you, you yeah, we would at the time, you know, we didn't like sit down around inauguration speeches and stuff, but I knew where my dad and mom and grandparents stood on issues and and you know, who was more likely to uh advance those issues than not. Um and we, we would have those, I mean, we would have actual conversations about that. It wasn't just uh, assumed or, you know, we, I didn't get it by osmosis. We had real conversations <laughs> about it. So, Well, let's move on to your time at the state capitol. So came in special election in 05 to fill the rest of Todd Novoscone's term. If I've got my data right, then stood for full election to the House in 06 and then moved on to Senate uh, ran for Senate seat in 08, in 08 yeah. and been there ever since. So that's what, eight, 12. So starting four, my fourth term this year, four successful elections for the Senate. Talk a little bit, if you would, about how your experience changed. Um, I mean, candidly, I remember you as a entry, you know, new, newly minted Senator, but the real memories happen when you take a committee leadership position. Right. Uh, so talk to us a little bit before we even get to your role as Senate president about what it's like coming in uh, as a legislator in general or a senator specifically and how that changes when you get some seniority and get assigned to some committee leadership spots. So um, 
You know, it's been, I feel like I've been pretty stable in where I stand, but candidly, and you've seen it, I've been in, in with leadership, out with leadership, in with leadership, out with leadership, and that's and that's that's a decision I made, right? I want to be the same person, just like, just like my dad, right? Be the same person inside and outside, and to stand. Now, not to, that some, some views haven't, you know, gravitated on some issues as you learn more, right? But so I also began to see and understand in the process if you really want to affect change, you need to f- figure out how to work within the system and how to, to gain within the system, like you're becoming you know, leaderships of committees and then uh, and other. Now, that's not the, the end all, right? So you saw that actually in my career where I had reached clear up to become the chairman of Ways and Means, but because I wouldn't make some changes and leadership did want to make some changes, you know, I, being stripped of that and that actually, but you know, even God used that in my life to actually, I, at that point, developed almost secondary leadership roles like around the Truth Caucus and stuff where we, you're still leading people. What I, what I learned is you need to be in a position where you can lead people um, if you want to get it done. I also learned that these are bodies of consensus, meaning they will find 21 and 63, right? They'll find their simple majorities. And if my say, if I want, for example, you call it, say I'm on the right. If I want that bell curve to the right, I need to include as many people from the right as I can. And so that's why I also learned that you become fringe in any any way. The bell curve by by necessity goes the other way because you've removed yourself from the conversation. So I was determined to keep myself in the conversation and uh, and be a real effect for for my my constituents so and then just you know learning the rules right and managing a committee and how they because you and you sit in a whole bunch of committees and i both of you guys travel through i mean you sit there and you watch you watch certain people have struggled to manage the flow of a committee and things and, and so i was determined to also be good at that to be able to 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 manage but yeah so that worked in um so i was able to become a chair fairly early on uh, in that and then that obviously worked through and then just again just trying to affect people in a way that they want to come and join in your in your momentum of what you're doing so you made a comment that i'll offer an opinion on because i think it's so key you said the more fringe you make yourself the less influence you have on that on that curve and i think that is there's a lot of variables that go into whether or not a legislator becomes a leader, becomes successful, becomes influential. But you've seen it, and we have too. Probably nothing is more influential than how much a legislator wants to just stand there and be indignant and throw the bombs, and all they're invested in is being right and being loud versus legislators that say, I can, without compromising any of my first principles, absolutely be a builder of consensus rather than a rager against it. Yeah, and, and I can't say I don't understand where even some of them come from in the sense that it feels good to rattle my saber and tell you how righteous I am, mm-hmm. right, in whatever. And, that, and it's quite frankly, I'm not, I mean, it's on both edges of, of everything we do. And so, um, and and I think what, there's some that have a misconception that to have to not give up your principles but work inside the process that somehow I think in their mind some of that is giving it up right mm-hmm. to, um, they don't understand that everything is to that side of them and so to do anything to work would be a peer to take steps but 
But in the end, you accomplish nothing if you don't. And that's in this system, you accomplish absolutely nothing if you're not willing to work with other people. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's a, I believe, and and Travis, you jump in if you have a different view, but it's a gross misconception, I think, of some in the public that if your elected official isn't, you know, screaming from the same hardline position without yielding an inch, that they're somehow sacrificing the principles is just not true it's not the it's a it's a nice fake idealized vision of the world but it's not if you want to really be effective and if you want to affect change on the principles that matter to you then you become uh you work better with people not worse you know yeah. and you begin to so i and she'll probably share this if you have her on, but like we even I'm, I do fantasy football league with Dinah, uh, the right? Because it's it was going to be yeah. my last but, question no. of the day is but, how you're doing in your fantasy football league. So she beat me <laughs> oh. in the last round, and I had I mean I had it completely done. Probabilities were ninety eight to two percent, <laughs> and she's got Derek bleeping Henry as her running back. <laughs> And he puts up 47 points, and she pulls it out by a couple. It was just – but it's, so I'm in this <laughs> position where, like, I've been, like, the second or third highest point guy every week, and I've lost to the first or the second. So I'm, like, I'm like two and four or something. It's, it's But the highest point getter in the whole league, and I'm, like, two and four. It's a cruel game. <laughs> uh, but we're in a league together, and that's similar to how I was for the first couple of weeks. Highest point. Still. One in one in three, one in four. Yeah. So yeah, not to not that. <laughs> but our that listeners... goes to building the relationships, right? I mean, in the oh, sense yeah. that her and I do not agree on almost anything. I mean, just anything of significance, right? I mean, so but we don't. But it's hard to be angry at somebody you you learn to like as a person, right? And it's that is what it, it's my goal. My my enemy is not flesh and blood, quite frankly, right? It's a uh, it is we we can have different ideas, but she is not my enemy. And so where where can is there only a few places we can work, and there might not be there might be few or not many at all. But I'm willing to explore that. Yeah, well, walk us through then uh, House, Senate, committee leadership, out of committee leadership, in committee leadership, but eventually, obviously, leads to your role now, Senate President. Uh, did you when did you develop an interest in that? Share with our listeners when you assumed that position and and what that transition was like. So, you know, having having been in long enough now and watching how different leaderships work and interact with each other, um, candidly, I became very disappointed in uh, our leadership at the time when I was when I became interested. I just thought, I think surely somebody can do a better job than this. And it, and it wasn't even – I'm not even trying to disparage the person. It was seeing the interactions they were having. I mean, just – these internal high-level meetings where people are just kind of calling names and turning their backs, and, and it was just so dysfunctional where I'm like going, this has got to change. and uh, But that led to my in and out, right? The, but in, in an odd way, not just not really odd, it was that time on the out that developed the ability to come in so strongly, right? So there's not, according to what I've been told, there's not been a transition of presidents. Not So I'm not talking interim president becoming up a second term that wasn't contested in some way. And, it, you know, as you know, in January, I mean, I came in by acclamation. And that was a culmination of, you know, election results and building relationships. And so that, 
I challenge, I dared challenge, you know, four years ago, and then that's what takes you on the out, right? Uh, scorched earth by the, by the winning person. And so you're, you know, my parking spot gets moved way out. And my, <laughs> my off, I go to the club. My office goes to the closet behind two, <laughs> two people that are, don't see the same. You know, it's it's you know it's just it's part of that. Um, so, but in in an odd way, kind of that martyrdom of that effort is what allowed me to start what became the truth caucus. And we ended up having, you know, 70 members of the legislature in it. And so I probably had, and I thought I'd say it was clever enough and God allowed me to have as much influence as the actual seated leadership in the chamber. Mm -hmm. So, which then led into influence in elections and then influence into and being able to obtain that by, by unanimous consent. So, let me ask you a couple more questions about your role as Senate president, and then I want to give you a minute to talk about, uh, we always save the best for last. I know most important thing in life to you is, is your faith in your family more than what goes on here, so I want to ask you a little bit about that, too, before we get done. But as Senate president, I guess I would ask you two questions. What's your favorite thing about the job? What brings you the most joy or sense of accomplishment? And what would be the most surprising thing to our listeners to know falls on your plate in the role as Senate president? You can tackle those whatever yeah, um, you want. Well, you know, anytime you're in leadership, the target just gets bigger. So there's downsides. But I mean, the good side is I do, I find a lot of satisfaction in figuring out how to put the pieces on the chessboard and get something accomplished or done and because it's difficult because it's not just normal chess right it's like 3d chess i've got issues i've got time frames and i've got personalities and emotions and you're like trying to manage through all that and so that's um it's frustrating at times but it's satisfying at times to to, to figure that out i mean it's um you know the, the, you know and the benefits of being in leadership and just you know it what I what I sense is the will of the people is easier for me to move because I'm in you know control right I mean it's I suppose that everybody in this in this type of a business or in this type anybody that'll run for office to some degree has a a type A personality if you will though so it's uh so that that you know that's what you can you know, control freak issue but you're you know I am you're being in control mm -hmm. um, is an advantage but you're only that's the way the system works great though I'm only in control of my world right and somebody else's world affects that and how do you mesh those together probably <laughs> the most surprising well I'll tell you what was most surprising to me I don't know if that's what was well, kind of the junior high school kind of things when you come in about where someone sits and what where their office is and what the what the committee are on. Just I mean it's just it was this I was like, well I'm not sitting by him. I'm not sitting by her and I'm not I deserve this bigger officer. I, just, I was like, well none of us really deserve anything but this is, that was the kind of thing that surprised how I was gonna say high school, but I'm not sure if it rose to that level. It felt real, real junior highish on how that that went together, and because uh, and even it's all those type A personalities thinking they want to yeah. be, you know, and, and their perception maybe not just because you know I'm, everybody thinks a little differently what their perception of that is. So the, the only actual decision I had to make, which surprised me, they come in. Corey comes into me. He's our Senate Secretary. And he goes, "What color do you want the Sergeant of Arms jackets to be?" I said, "That's a decision for me." I said, I said well, "You know what." 
go ask the sergeant of arms. <laughs> I mean, I mean, she, he goes, he really didn't like the color the last president chose. <laughs> so, yeah, because they was forced upon them. I mean, go go ask him. I said, if he's not trying to be the four pips and the bright yellow or something, I mean, just let him pick what he wants to <laughs> what he wants to wear. And of course, these guys are ex highway patrol. They like kind of that dark navy blue. And yep. They look great. So, but it was just surprising that, that was even a decision I needed to make. Well, but, and I learned something new today for sure. Is that really the Senate president's call? The it is. The color of the coat of the sergeant. The arms jacket, yep. Oh, for heaven's so sakes. Those, I mean, those switch every year? Like I don't know. I think it's every uh, – I don't know if it's every term or every new president. Okay. I think you had – because, I mean, we get, I changed the chair out that was up on the dais because that one was uncomfortable, right? I mean, you get to – I mean, you really are – uh, omnipotent in the chamber as far as those those final decisions. That's how you know figuring out how all the pieces fit together and working with everybody. But yeah, it's it's amazing where the desks are. Which you know, COVID. Even though we're a historical bill, I was able to spread the desks out and fit everybody in there. Tell every you, I moved the media up to the gallery, and just, I, you know, I wanted everybody in person because I, I think it's important. Well, just like that, you know, having these type of relationships and looking people in the eye. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I didn't want the kind of a social media effect to happen as we're trying to make law in the middle of a pandemic, right? It's, you can tweet something or say something or even text something, but it's different when you're sitting in the same room, mm-hmm. looking at somebody in the face. And, and so I, I, that was really important to me to have everybody there. Yeah. And boy, it is, uh, the dynamic is night and day, isn't it? Well, you think about it, even for in what you guys do as far as influencing policy, how much of that happens in kind of a side conversation in the committee room, right? That you just happen to run into somebody and you have this conversation that Zoom, you don't have that, right? Or yeah. Yeah, WebEx or whatever it is. It's it's important to be, uh, you know, I mean, we're relational. We're relational beings in a relational world. So that, yeah, the <laughs> comment I was going to make, and Travis spends more time from our shop over across the street, Travis and Travis and Sandy, than anybody. But I will say this, the biggest difference from our side as, as advocates for public policy, it's definitely different when you're having a conversation with an elected official about a policy or a bill, no doubt. But honestly, that's not the big change because even there, whether it's a Zoom meeting or whatever, you get your 15 minutes scheduled and you can make your talking points. It's different, but it's manageable. What's different is everything that goes in ahead of that conversation because legislators are the same as all the rest of us it's all about trust it's all about history it's all about character and integrity and those conversations that we have for 15 minutes on this bill or this policy how effective we can be and i think how much faith a legislator feels like they can put in what we bring them is so impacted by all the time we spend before that. And those are the five minutes in the hallway. Those are the chances to get a sandwich at lunch or a cup of coffee. So it's the, it's the, the entry-level work that really impacts our side even more than the, the visits about specific policies. Yeah, I know people that – and from the outside, I can see how it's kind of hard to – see that coming in and they'll say well you know you're you're going to a dinner or a lunch or whatever but they really it's it's because it's, you're you're creating the situation for those conversations that build the relationship to build the trust to build the ability to move the absolutely move the policy and that's and sometimes hard to understand i always want to we don't have to spend long on this but for people out there that want to challenge elected officials about the veracity or the ethics of uh having you know a sandwich with a lobbyist or going to these receptions or whatever what i always want to ask back to them is if you're going to have a relationship with somebody whether it's a 
contractor working at your house or babysitter that stays with your kids or whoever it is, uh, aren't you going to be more comfortable if you can spend a little time with those folks and get to know them and get a sense of their character and their ethics and, and all of that? Uh, you know, wouldn't you feel more comfortable? And, and why on earth would you want your elected official not to try to put in the legwork to do that same thing? Right. Yeah. Well, let's move on and talk uh, talk as as much or as little as you want about your wife, Marlo, and your six kids. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't need to drag uh, uh, more out of it than you want to share, but I do know that your family is even more important to you than what you do up here and wanted to give you a chance to, yeah, very much to talk so. about them here. You guys can both guys can both attest. You know, I introduced Marlowe as my better nine tenths because I'm, a, I'm a, I, I was good at math. You know, I'm a, I understand value, right? And uh, so we we both when, when we met we met we met at a church and um, we talked about how we wanted to have you know decent sized family. She only had one brother, of course. So neither of us had sisters, right? She had one brother. I had all brothers. And we thought, oh, she she thought we'd have you know, four or five. And then, you know, I thought, oh yeah, five or six. And I said, so we compromised and had six. <laughs> but no, that, that's the joke. Right. Right? I mean, it was, cause in the, it was, she's you could just, say your, your fraction math just went yeah, sour. Right, right. That's how you get to six. Yeah, so, but well, the, the funny reason that's a, a funny joke internally for us is because, so we had, you know, we had five kids, like I said, before, we had five kids before our seventh anniversary. It was just like, and we even had a miscarriage in there. So it was, I mean, she was pregnant literally six times in six years. I mean, if it, it was just so, um, bless her heart. I mean, you talk about people, I mean, working, we, I'd like to tell you our kids were all easy. We, we weren't, they weren't, um, uh, <laughs> no, no such thing. One little girl was probably more work than the other five combined and they were all still there. So <laughs> it was, uh, where did she come in the pecking order? Number two, number two, uh, interestingly enough, I am also number two in, in my family. <laughs> so my mom used to joke that she goes, well, I was afraid you'd get one that had the same kind of, same kind of will. And she goes, I'm sorry. You got one even worse. <laughs> so I could tell you some child stories where she could absorb every form of discipline. I think I had her in timeout for two weeks one time. I mean, literally two weeks, to, to, but she just, you know, to try to stay committed to learning a lesson. And it was, uh, but she's, she's, she's amazing now. So that, that little girl right now is a uh, mother of two pregnant with a third, right? So I'm already starting the, the grandbaby round and she's just been that, you know, that hard part of her personality became a, a real plus, right? I mean, I used to just be stunned at the things that she would say. I think I can't even believe you conceived that thought, let alone let it come out of your mouth. <laughs> it's just like, and, uh, but someday that'll be a strength. And it took a while to get there, uh, but it is. And she's, she's, so, so anyway, so, so we had four girls, two boys. Um, the we had five, real, like I say, real close together. And so we, at that point, decided. Say, Marlo decided it was uh, time to take a break. Right? It was. I mean, it, and that was a lot of work. I look back, and I don't even know how we did it now. Looking back, and it was us. So, but um, so we went. For, uh, we decided we were done. Shut the factory down, right, for a minute, and um, <laughs> it, was, it was. So, but sure enough, three years later, she's thinking that maybe we should have continued on and so we actually went through this adoption process together and then that all fell apart we it was actually back at the time some some people probably remember it back kind of the early 2000s and there was a lot of foreign adoptions we had two boys identified out of russia and got most of the way through it and uh, they just stopped adopting at the, the russia cut it off and so so we fire the factory back up, and then that's uh, <laughs> like 
<laughs> there you go. He was like, uh, I remember the doctor called me. He said, you need to come in and take a test and see if it works. I don't need your test. I got her test. We're doing March. <laughs> so just <laughs> see ya. Um, and that, I thought I'd have another five or six kids, honestly, because I told her I'm not going to go back a third time. <laughs> just, but we just have this great, she's kind of this best friend relationship with me, right? That it's, uh, when things get hard and or difficult or people are, you know, condemning of me, it's harder for me to have, see them read stuff about, you know, that, you know, when you got critical people in the media than it is to read it myself. And she's just been, a, um, just been a trooper with me this whole time. And those kids now, I mean, we're just to get perspective. They're 26 to 20, the first five. And then our, our straggler number six, she's 14. And, uh, they're all, uh, all doing very well. We have three grandkids on the ground, two in the oven, only half the team on the field. So we'll see where we end up. That's a lot of happiness. It, it, it is. It's. Uh, I really enjoy that that part of life, and it, it's what gives me the drive to do what I do. Although it is, it's a sacrifice of family time to do this, but uh, God's blessed me in a way that uh, the time I do have back there, um, I get some real quality moments uh, with my kids, and uh, really enjoy that. And uh, times are changing. Your comment about your uh, second daughter and how strong-willed she is and, and what it was like to see those challenges turn into such an asset for her. This is a random note, but just last night I saw a preview. There's a movie coming out about Venus and Serena Williams, and Will Smith plays their dad, who it appears was very much the driving force in that. And it shows him with them as young girls. And one of the things that you can identify just in the preview that he taught them over and over again, he would ask them, what's the most dangerous thing in the world? And they would say, a woman with her own ideas. And, he, <laughs> and his answer was, you darn right, and don't you ever forget it. <laughs> yes, and I was thinking of that when you were talking that about is, your daughter. That's uh, my girls. My first two girls are both very... You, you could hear it just in this advertisement for the movie, you could hear how empowering that lesson was that he was teaching to them. You know, what's the most powerful thing in the world? A woman with her own ideas. And he was, he was encouraging and, and pushing. And I learned that thought, lesson. I thought early. of that when you talked about your right daughter. From my grandmothers <laughs> to my mother to my wife to my staff. I mean, you got, um, he has always, God has always surrounded me with strong women with their own ideas. And, mm-hmm. I, and I've grown to really appreciate that because, you know, I, of course, I joke with them. I say they cheat, right? Because testosterone fried half my brain. I can't even work the whole thing, right? You're taking you taking this stuff off. <laughs> you got the whole thing. I only got half a brain to work with. So that's why I'm so linear. Right? It's, just, <laughs> it's like I would joke with my boys. My boys were simple. You know, it was I got a problem. Here's a solution. You got an action got a consequence the girls we couldn't even agree there was a problem and if we could agree there was a problem it was probably my fault in some creative way and i couldn't get i could never kind of quite get there <laughs> well it is is awesome with any of your kids not just with your daughter but to see their bullheadedness and some of the other things that can make you crazy uh when their kids turn out to be such an asset when they're grown isn't it it is, and to have a, you know, we we had our kids young, and that was a, a choice that we made that probably sacrificed income, but uh, I wouldn't trade it for a world at this point. My uh, parents say this, and we'll move on because we want to be respectful of your time here. But both my parents always used to say, if you wait to have kids, 
till you think you can afford them, you'll never have kids. Yeah, well, <laughs> that is true. I was like, I remember. Here's how good a salesman I, uh, I was. Right, I had a had a small business making no money. Convinced my wife, who is much much uh, better than me, to move into my grandmother's basement and marry me. So I mean, just like, going, man, I, I can, I, I'm a salesman. A born salesman. That's hilarious. Well, let me ask you this, and, and we'll wrap up. You've been so gracious with your time today uh which we appreciate very much so we like to wrap up with just a few random personal questions uh to learn more about you uh we certainly appreciate anybody with six kids let alone somebody serving as senate president the notion of free time is probably a fiction but if you'll bear the fantasy with us if you actually had some free time what kind of hobbies would you fill the free time with? No, that's a good, and it's an easy answer for me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a maker. I mean, I like to to build stuff. I mean, and and make things. It's to my wife's chagrin sometimes. Probably the worst one was she came home one time and I had a jackhammer in the bedroom and I was plowing through the floor to try to. Get, I was making a connection, so there's dust flying up everywhere. So I'm, I'll get to. I get so frustrated with the theoretical and all the stuff that we do up here. That's kind of this mental game, right? And when I came in. I was way more comfortable with physical confrontation than I was verbal confrontation. So that whole, there's times I just want to physically do something. And that, and that's, that's way. So, I mean, I had, you know, the tools, I, I create stuff, right? I mean, I build stuff and when like, you know, I'll, I constantly am changing my house cause that's what I do. I bought it as a, I bought it as a little three bedroom and got as many as nine and back down to seven as I'm fitting my kids and mother-in-law and everything in there. Right. And so I'm always tearing something up and making something new and redoing this or that and uh so that's free t what's good about that is that free time happens there right I, I don't have i thought i'd like to golf and i actually do like to golf but to get five or six hours out on a course away from, I, I just don't have it yeah so that's what that's what i do i i make stuff you uh a total sidebar but you know jonathan small um largely retired yeah we just lobbyist. confirmed him this morning for kdfa oh timely question yeah uh, he, uh, two degrees of separation, my dad and Jonathan, I think had mutual colleagues growing up or whatever. Anyway, he ended up doing a little dab of estate work for my dad a thousand years ago. So when I was brand new in this business and desperately looking for some justification to connect to another lobbyist, like we have something in common, I remember trying to small talk him and he remembered my dad. And so it was all going well but uh when the conversation slowed I, I had the poor judgment to try and fill the time by saying you know well do you golf john and turns around with a, a fairly disgusted look on his face and says who in the world has time for golf and <laughs> well i live that <laughs> yeah no doubt i understand his answer a lot more now than i did I'll 21 bet. years yeah. ago yeah. yeah, the president's thing also adds so much to the schedule, right? So, uh, you know, we're, we're still citizen legislatures, even at the president's level, right? So you still have to go out and make a living, manage the state, family, the whole thing. Yeah, it is uh, It's difficult at times. But Well, last question for you. Uh, favorite movies, favorite music? So my, my music gravitates. I... I was actually a heavy metal guy in high school, right? And so ZZ Top and some of the guys from the 80s that were just, you know, loved that. I got into even some then. Nothing would make me speed like ZZ Top or Mozart. I mean, I don't know why. It was a conundrum of... 
It's an eclectic answer. It was an eclectic answer. And then, uh, but then there was, I got into kind of this heavy metal Christian music that uh, one of my favorite bands over there is actually One Bad Pig. I don't even know where they got the name, <laughs> but they just, they crack me up. Their lyrics are fun, but they're kind of this screamer band. And then I gravitated as I got older, right? I mellowed out a little bit. So um, I listened to a lot of like contemporary Christian and then the old classic rock. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, is probably what's my that's really those are the only two audio stations I have on in the car. I'm either I'm either on praise music or I'm rocking out. So it's a it's a good combination. It's a good combination. Well rounded person. <laughs> what about uh movies? Movies I like actions, you know, kind of the the action thriller movies. And again, another thing that if I'm not watching one with my family, I don't watch too many of them. So um I can't even think of a favorite off the top of my head, but I do the, I do enjoy kind of the action movies. You and I are of the generation of the diehards and the oh, yeah. weapons. Oh, <laughs> right. yeah. Yep, liked all that. Yep, down that vein. Absolutely. Right. That's funny. Well, Travis, anything else for the good of the cause before we... I don't think so. I'm a little disappointed when you're talking about free time and hobbies. You didn't bring up the 20-passenger van, bus that you have. Take that a few cross-country trips. That's part of my maker world there, though, too. I wanted wanted all my family to ride together. Well, we've blown out of the Suburban, right? So I bought a (laughs) – actually, it used to be a limousine. It was a bus. It's a bus that seats twenty five in, in in perimeter, right? It's actually, it, it literally used to be a limousine. No, it still is a limousine. It's still. I mean, I bought it was. A, it did weddings in uh, in uh, Nor- uh, New Jersey. Matter of fact, I keep telling people God told me to buy this bus. <laughs> well, so I got, I got to stop you. A bus and a limousine are two very different things. No, Phil. you've seen them though, right? The bus size limousines. No, oh, I'll I guess, show you I guess. a picture. It's a big, it's it's a classy silver, and it looks like a. So it's got a, it's basically the chassis is a Kodiak, right? Or the top kick, you know, it's a, it's a Chevy Kodiak underneath, and then it's got this, it's just a big conversion on the back. It's a it's a twenty five seat limousine. How funny! And if I've seen for, one, I wasn't smart enough to know what to yeah, call it. Or and they 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 typically use them for things like weddings, right? And that's how I ended up with the thing is because it was, I went I went searching. I was looking for just kind of a. 15 passenger more of a shuttle type thing for all of but i've ended up glad i went bigger because it was i literally had took the whole family up you know we went up to the museum and everybody hops on it's got a staircase so mother-in-law can get up there it's 88 compliant it's 88 compliant got handrails and stairways so it's uh <laughs> it's got uh, still got a pretty good stereo in it too. So, I, <laughs> so pick, pick, pick the sides. I can make it thump. Right? It was, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, did that, you have uh, another random thought? Uh, Billy Dean. He's an old country artist. I saw him in concert once, and he told the story. And it's funny. You could see everybody in the audience that you and I are about the same age. That it was from our generation. Was like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> right. Billy Dean was like, I bought a. Six hundred dollar car and put a twenty six hundred dollar stereo in it. <laughs> now, that was the eighties. Yeah, right? no doubt. Like, no I, doubt. I put, at the one point I'd put car or home stereo speakers <laughs> sitting up in the back of my Jeep because I had way too much amplifier on it. Cause I'd blown the whole system out, so it was all. Oh yeah, it was. Yo, you you would we'd, yeah. I I rolled that Jeep, rolled it over. I bought a four hundred dollar Scout had one good fender on it and. Just was we just it was it was a different time, right? Uh, and I don't know about you, but another commonality here between uh, between all of that heavy metal music from my high school years and jackhammers, uh, I think that's about 
half the reason I'm significantly hard of hearing today. So we share that as well. Yep. I, uh, I do suffer from uh, tinnitus or tinnitus, however you choose to pronounce that. I've got to be my – did you hear that? I said, no, all I hear is ee. <laughs> that's all i got but, uh, times have changed but when i first picked up a jackhammer nobody had the forethought to tell me to cover my ears oh me then i thought no. i was invincible and yeah. to some degree i mean the proof the fact i'm here is proof i was <laughs> at the time, but i'm certainly paying i'm reaping the consequences of my actions right no eye protection no ear protection no yep. i mean you just yep we just did it. <laughs> Here we are. That's the gospel truth. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, you know, how fortunate to have survived to the point that we're now telling the uphill both ways, you know, to school oh, yeah. in the snow, you know, no no protection when we were kids for your eyes and ears. Well, listen, we need to let you go. We've run way past what we told you we'd budget for time. So on behalf of uh, Travis Grauerholtz here and myself, Senator, what a, or, or Ty, excuse me, uh, it has been a ton of fun to have you here and, and so appreciative of you making time to join us. Well, I thoroughly us. enjoyed it and appreciated the opportunity. Yeah, very good. Well, thanks for all you do. We look forward to working with you in the 2022 session. And listeners, thank you for joining in. We'll catch you on the next edition of the podcast.